Hello and welcome back to IT Varsity Tech Watch. I'm your host Bilal Katrada and I'm your co-host Masihullah Katrada. Today we're going to be talking about a very interesting technology, a technology that a lot of people talk about but not many people understand, blockchain technology. And we're also going to talk about something really interesting about blockchain and that is that blockchain was actually used by Imam Bukhari over 1,400 years ago. So let's get started. Now, before we get into the discussion on what blockchain is, I think it's important to describe what blockchain isn't. Now, blockchain is not cryptocurrency. You know, when we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other bit, uh, cryptocurrencies, generally people lump the two together. They say, blockchain and cryptocurrencies are related or siblings but actually they are completely different technologies exactly um, saying that blockchain is the same as crypto or it's the same as bitcoin is like saying that gmail or youtube is the internet that's we know that that's not true the internet is 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 a servers and gmail and youtube just are applications that work with the internet. Exactly. And in a similar way, it'll be incorrect to say that cryptocurrencies are blockchain or blockchain is cryptocurrencies. I mean, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are just one application that uses blockchain technology or is supposed to use blockchain technology. Now, just like uh, Bitcoin, there are other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, which I mentioned earlier. Now, right. so there's neo there's a uh, ripple yeah now recently cryptocurrencies have received a lot of negative publicity because of some issues surrounding them the first was the volatile prices one minute uh, cryptocurrencies were on a on a pricing high and going up 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 and suddenly the price crashed all of a sudden and no one understands how that happened and the other issue was around security i mean we had these incidents where hackers were uh, breaking into cryptocurrency uh, vaults and stealing 40 50 million dollars worth of cryptocurrency that is unacceptable but this the idea of this episode is not to discuss uh, cryptocurrencies we'll have a separate episode for that to explain exactly what cryptocurrencies are and uh, you know what what the future of cryptocurrencies actually is we are talking about blockchain. So just to clarify, blockchain is not cryptocurrency. It's a separate technology and a really, really good technology at that. Now, before we can explain what the modern uses of blockchain are and how blockchain actually functions, how it works, we need to go back in time. We need to go back to Imam Bukhari Rahma, and understand his compilation which is the famous Bukhari Sharif. Now when Imam Bukhari decided to compile a hadith what he did was he not only found a hadith and took a person's word for it that this hadith is directly from Rasulullah what he did was he went to every person in that chain of narrators. So he would ask a person for example 
okay, you're giving me this hadith, you're saying it's from Rasulullah how do you know that? So this person would say, I learned this hadith from another person. So A learned the hadith from B. So Imam Bukhari would firstly go and verify A himself, the first, the source that was giving him that hadith. Then he would go to B and verify that source and see if B is a truthful person, if B is an honest and reliable person. In other words, if B himself is Sahih, if he has been proven to be correct and reliable. And then he would ask B, what is your chain of narrators? Who did you learn this from? And so B would say, I learned it from C and D and E right up until the Sahaba and from the Sahaba right until Rasulullah So Imam Bukhari was extremely meticulous about this. He went from person to person and it, it's only, it's, it's actually unimaginable the amount of time and effort he put into verifying every single hadith. And that's why the Bukhari Sharif is the most authentic book in the world after the Quran. So Imam Bukhari took a lot of pains to ensure the authenticity. Now let's re-examine what he did. So if you've got a hadith in Bukhari Sharif, that hadith is listed with its chain of narrators and each of those narrators has been individually verified by Imam Bukhari. Now let's look at it in isolation. If you look at the person that showed Imam Bukhari or taught Imam Bukhari the hadith, that person had a couple of things. One is he had the hadith itself and then he had his reputation and then he had his teacher. So three bits of information that Imam Bukhari took from that person. The wording of the hadith, the reputation of that person as well as the source that that person got that hadith from. Now the next thing Imam Bukhari had to do was to go to that source and again extract three bits of information from the source the wording of the hadith, the reputation of that person, and the source. So if the source of person A was person B, and the person B's source was person C, then Imam, Imam Bukhari went to all of them to verify. And not only that, but he also went to the communities where these people lived. So he went to a, a per, the first person, a person A's community, and he verified from those people whether A is an honest, reliable person, a truthful person. And if they said yes, then Imam Bukhari would accept and then move, move on to B. And it would be he'd do the same thing. So he'd first ask that person and then he'd do his homework about that person. In essence, think of each person, each narrator in the chain as a block. So that person is a block of information, three bits of information. Remember, three bits of information, the wording of the hadith, the reputation of that person and the source. Where did you learn this from? So that's a block. And then you take all the blocks from Rasulullah right through till the person who is narrating the hadith to Imam Bukhari. We have what is called a chain, a chain of narrators. Up till today, we still call it a chain of narrators. It's called a sanad a chain of narrators of a particular hadith. So in essence, what Imam Bukhari did without even realizing was that he set the foundations for a technology that's only coming into effect 1,400 somewhat years later.
the blockchain technology. Now, blockchain technology is almost exactly what Imam Bukhari did. So what exactly is blockchain? Now, blockchain is actually a super secure way of storing highly, highly confidential data and highly important data. Now, how this works is that when a, when a transaction takes place, then the information about that transaction is stored in a super secure computer. And then that is stored with three bits of information. One is the, inf the actual transactional information. The second is an encryption. So that encryption would verify that that data is correct and it will prevent thieves and hackers from actually accessing and stealing that data. And thirdly, where did that information come from? So see the similarities with Imam Bukhari's Sanad, or the, his chain of narrators, the actual information, the encryption, and the source. And the next transaction that's that takes place will next will be stored in a different computer somewhere else with the three bits of information. Now this is a bit abstract and it's a bit hard to understand. But if we explain it in terms of a, an example, then it becomes much easier. Okay, so think of blockchain as a database, as a vault that's meant to store very, very confidential information. And under no circumstance can that information be leaked to the wrong people or can be changed. It's, once it's in, it's meant to stay that way. Okay, so... Let's put it in terms of an example, right? Let's say you, you would like to buy a second-hand phone. Now, we know that there's lots and lots of problems with buying a second-hand phone. For example, you don't know whether the phone is stolen. You don't know whether the phone has been repaired, uh, who repaired it, whether they did a good job. Um, you don't know whether someone maybe tried to mess up with the software. They jailbreaked it or they used it for something illegal, okay? It would be nice to have that information ready on hand exactly. right, when you're buying a phone. Exactly. So take this example. From the time a phone is purchased at the store, it is being, it's, uh, well, I say tracked almost. It's, it knows who it was sold to, or well, the database knows who it was sold to, when it was sold. Okay. Now, if that person now sells it to someone else, that information is recorded. If the phone was, let's say, dropped and someone repaired it, that information is also recorded. Who repaired it, it's also recorded. So when you go to buy the phone, all you need to do is maybe uh, enter the phone's IMEI number into this database, and it's gonna bring back all of the information about this phone. So you can see if anything is inconsistent, if the person who is selling it to you is not recorded as the last registered owner, then you know that there's something wrong. This phone is probably stolen. So this is just one example of how blockchain could work. Now, that's the, the, the scenario you described is more in tune with a database, right? Now, the trouble with databases is that it's easy to get into a database and change information. A database stores information, all the information in one place. So you could hack into a database, 
and change any transaction there and put the last uh, you know the thief that that stole the cell phone and is trying to sell it to you could have put his own id number into that database and there's no way to verify that now that's where blockchain shines because that's how imam bukhari's system actually uh, uh, shown back in the days see imam bukhari could have gone to a single person and said to him i heard you learned a special hadith uh, from Rasulullah that I don't have. Now, why don't you uh, tell me what that hadith is and tell me your chain of narrators? And Imam Bukhari could have also asked this person, do you know that these people are, are verifiable, that these people are all in your entire chain, these are all sahih and they are honest, reliable person? The person could have uh, said, yes, these are all reliable person. So Imam Bukhari did not have to go to each person. He could have got that information directly from one person. But why did he go to each person for further verification of that data, further verification of the gist of that hadith? So when he went to these people, what he did was he made it more secure. Now consider this in, in the cell phone scenario. When you talk about a database, all the data is stored in one place. But when you talk about a blockchain, now that's where things get very, very different and very uh, secure. That first transaction, let's say, the first person, person A, goes to the store, buys the cell phone. That information, that transaction, and all the information regarding it, the price of the phone, the IMEI number of the phone, the date and time that the phone was, was uh, sold, the person that sold the phone, the ID number of the purchaser, all this information forms one block. And that is stored on a number of different computers around the world. Okay? And that information is secured. It's what we call in computer terms encrypted. It's encrypted meaning that even if you try to hack it, it's going to be very hard to hack. So there's two levels of security here. One is the data is encrypted and the other is that it's stored in multiple different places. So if a hacker goes and changes it in one place, then there's 20 or 30 other places that still have the correct data. And if they find that the one is not in sync with the others then they could flag it as a problem computer and then they could investigate and find that that data was tampered with okay so first step the first transaction took place now person a sold the computer the, the cell phone to person b now person b is buying a phone that's verified all he has to do is go into the blockchain and see exactly who was the first purchaser what was that person's id number and if he sees that it is in fact person B, uh, person A, then he knows that this is a good non-stolen phone. The transaction takes place and what happens? Exactly like in the first case, that data for that specific transaction is stored in a number of other computers and encrypted. Now let's say person B takes the cell phone for repairs. He drops it, it got damaged, he took it for repairs. Now the repair company repairs it gives it back to person B, but also makes a record of this information in the blockchain. Now the blockchain has that information stored. This cell phone was dropped, it was brought in for repairs, it was repaired at this cost, and these are the repairs that we did to it, and this is the person that repaired it, date, time, etc. Now you've got three transactions. The thing with those three transactions is that they're not stored on the same computer. 
they're not stored in one place. The three transactions could be stored on anything from a one to a hundred to a thousand different computers. And you can't change that information because if you do succeed in hacking one computer where that, that transaction is stored, you, you've got 20 or 30 or 100 or 1,000 computers to contend with. So now in that way, the information is super secure. Each individual transaction is called a block and all the transactions put together is called the chain. And that's where the word blockchain comes from. The blocks are the data and the chain are the computers, the systems that are storing that information so that's exactly now you know from a from a blockchain perspective i think the listener will understand why blockchain is so much more secure than a database think about it in the simplest way that a database stores everything in one place but a blockchain stores everything in multiple different places that no one else knows about no one knows exactly where they store except the chain itself the chain knows where the data is stored, but no one else knows about it. It's like, you know, you, you, you've you got a very important document to store, right? You could store it with one person, but then that document could get lost, it could get destroyed, it could get tampered with. But if you take the same document and you make multiple copies of it and you give it to 20 different people, now you know that it's stored across a number of different places. And that's exactly how the Quran was preserved from the time of the Prophet ﷺ till today. It wasn't stored in one place. It wasn't written in one book that was called the Holy Book. It was stored in hundreds of thousands of different places. Where? In the minds and hearts of the Hufaz. So even though there were attempts to change the Quran over the past uh, one and a half centuries almost, but the Quran remained and preserved because it was stored in a chain in a chain of hafaz so we can see that blockchain although it's a new term as far as technology goes it's not a new concept as far as Islam goes so the way the Quran was was propagated from the time of the Prophet till today and the way Imam Bukhari compiled his hadith were the original sources of blockchain technology they were the original you could say perhaps they were an inspiration for blockchain uh, technology that we see today wow this is truly a very fascinating technology and and one that that i'm really personally really really interested in in learning more about and i can already see there's so many industries that we have right now that need um need the blockchain technology for example banks uh, all of your banking data needs to be super secure but also needs to be easily accessible if you want to call that information uh scientific research you know you can imagine if, if scientific research is, is stored in this method as well or um property legal documents you know yeah, i mean like property for example you're buying a house obviously it'll be valuable to know who was the first owner, what changes, what alterations, where the uh, plans are. I mean, it's a real slip. If you want to make uh, a change to uh, your home, you want to do an alteration, you have to go looking for plans. And usually if there's two or three alterations made in the past, one plan is definitely missing. But if all these were stored in the blockchain, 
then it would be secure and easily accessible. So not just legal information about buying the house, but also the, the plans and the other information. And also the example that we used about stolen uh, uh, property, stolen goods like cell phones, cars. I mean, car uh, vehicle information. You're buying a car, you're buying a second-hand car. You really don't know what you're buying. You're essentially going with people's word for... Uh, you know exactly when that car was bought how it was used service history etc but the blockchain technology will definitely fix all of this so yeah truly it's a very very exciting technology and it's really going to uh, make verifiable data easily accessible to everyone and it's going to secure the right type of data that needs securing anyways i think we uh, we've run out of time for this episode we're going to have to call it a, a wrap this was uh, definitely quite an interesting episode and quite an interesting technology. And what's great is that not many people know that even though this is a new technology, it was already used 1,000, almost 1,400 years ago by Imam Bukhari. Anyways, that's a wrap for today's episode. This is Technology Watch. I'm your host, Bilal Katrada. And I'm your co-host, Masihullah Katrada. And catch us for the next episode where we talk about real-world applications of blockchain technology.